0: welcome everyone to the fourth official episode of Nutrition Gabana podcast. I'm going to be your host, Abby Green, and today we're going to talk all about diet and diabetes. So I do have a personal connection to this one. Um, my family does have a history of type 2 diabetes, so it's something that I think about quite frequently. And also, it's just about to be Halloween season, I like to celebrate it early. I know it's September, but um, you know this means that people are going to be eating a lot more candy, a lot more sweets. Um, so that's why it's important to think about your blood sugar levels. So today's episode, like I said before, is going to be all about diabetes. And before we get into that, let's think all about blood sugar. So your blood sugar levels um, need to be balanced because we need enough sugar in our blood to keep all of our organs healthy. If you're going to have too much sugar in your blood, it can become a real problem because sugar is sticky. So when you have high levels of it in your blood, the excess sugar actually likes to coat itself onto different receptors. Um, this process is also called glycation and it often increases the rate of getting type two diabetes. So, um, also other cardiovascular related diseases. But too much sugar in your blood can also cause and trigger inflammation levels to spike, which is not good. But not only that, it can change your osmotic gradient, or this is how much sugar is dissolved in the liquid of your blood. So this is going to make your brain think that you are dehydrated. Now, diabetes refers to a group of diseases that affect how the body uses blood sugar, or glucose is the other name for it, and glucose is an important source of energy for the cells that make up muscles and tissues, it's also going to be the brain's main source of fuel. So the main cause of diabetes varies by type, uh, but no matter what type of diabetes you have, it can lead to excess sugar in the blood, Um, and this can cause serious health problems, just like I listed up above. Um, but not only is there type 1 and type 2 diabetes, there also is a thing called pre-diabetes. So this is going to happen when your blood sugar levels are higher than normal, um, but they're not high enough to be called diabetes. But uh, it's still dangerous because pre-diabetic people are at extreme risk if steps aren't taken to prevent diabetes. That being said, almost 30 million people in the United States have diabetes, um, but 8 million people actually may be undiagnosed and unaware of their condition. So there's also 1.4 million new cases of diabetes that are diagnosed in the United States every year. So that's kind of a lot of people. Um, More than 1 in every 10 adults who are 20 years or older have diabetes, so a lot. (laughs) Um, But yeah, this kind of leads us to the question – which is how does your body control its intake of sugar? All right, so now for the answer to that question. How does your body control its intake of sugar? So when you consume sugar, your body is going to do three main things. It's going to try to burn the sugar for exercise, store the sugar so it's easy to use, or it's going to change it into something else. So it's going to change the sugar mainly into fat. So we're going to take a look now at the blood cell. So just imagine a blood cell with its cell membrane and then three glucose transporters. So GLUT1 is going to be the first transporter of glucose. And this one is responsible for transporting glucose to the heart and the brain. And the main priority is going to be the brain over the heart. Um, But if GLUT1 does not transport enough sugar to the brain, this is how seizures can occur. Uh, But its main job is going to be to burn this sugar. So the first main reason. Um, And it's also located at the cell membrane. So the next is going to be glucose transporter number two, GLUT2. And this is going to be responsible for transporting glucose to the liver, uh, the sugar bank of the body. And GLUT2 is always there at the membrane, but it actually only works when there's a lot, a lot of sugar in the blood. Um, And a special thing about GLUT2 is that it can take sugar or it can spit it out. So it goes both ways in your blood. And its job is to store glucose. Now, our last glucose transporter is going to be GLUT4. Uh, not GLUT3, but GLUT4. And this one lives inside of the blood cell. So it can go to the membrane um, to let in glucose, and GLUT2 or GLUT4 is going to be involved in storing burning and changing the glucose into something else. And it transports glucose to every single organ in the body except your brain because that's glute one's job. So this comes to the question, how does glute four know when to bring this glucose in? So this is where insulin comes into play. So insulin is going to be an essential hormone that helps your body turn food into energy and it's going to control your blood levels. So insulin is actually released by your pancreas and it gets attached to a receptor on the cell membrane and this is where it can send little protein messages um, to activate GLUT4 to actually do its job. And insulin brings us to the question of diabetes, like simply what is it? So to simply put it, diabetes is going to be the lack of insulin signals so when you have no sig- or no insulin in your pancreas, this is called type 1 diabetes and no one actually knows why type 1 occurs um, but it is something that most people are diagnosed with very early on so you don't see it in a lot of adults um, unless they've you know had it for their whole life their whole lives. Um, But now if you have too much insulin, this is going to be called type 2 diabetes. So type 2 is going to be the one that occurs over time, and this is when you're increasingly damaging your insulin signals. So when there's too much insulin, it can cause a blockage that disables the pathways of proteins to GLUT4. So this is going to make GLUT4 receive no signals at all. And these signals can get blocked over time by too many signals, stress, or inflammation. So stress means that the sugars are turning into fat Way too quickly, and it's going to turn off the receptors. And inflammation in immune cells is where they're going to have an imbalance that tells the brain that it needs a lot of sugar instead of sugar going to the brain. Um, so this comes to, leads us to the question: What happens when you eat a meal? You know, you're getting sugar intake. So the body needs three main nutrients, including carbs or sugars, fats, and proteins. So carbs and sugars, or glucose, as we were saying before can easily change into fatty acids, but fatty acids cannot turn back into sugar. So this is why sugar is so deadly. So the fats are easily absorbed and can go everywhere in the body. Proteins or amino acids can also turn into fats or sugars, but fatty acids cannot turn into sugar. Now, I want you guys to imagine what happens when you eat a meal. So you can chew your food, The food travels down your esophagus, into the stomach, and to the small intestine. And let's say you ate a whole chocolate cake. So there's going to be a lot of excess sugars um, that are going to move from the small intestine to the liver, and our liver is going to be the first security guard that sugars have to get past. So the liver is the nutrient store of the body, so excess glucose, sugar, heads to the liver first. And right as glucose enters your bloodstream, the pancreas is sending all of these um, signals to release insulin. So in your liver, we are going to have GLUT2 from earlier, and it's going to be bringing in the excess sugars as glycogen. So this is a molecule. Now GLUT2 not only brings sugars in, but also can um, allow them to be transported out of the liver as individual glucose. So glycogen, think of it as a big, chunky molecule, and then glucose are tra- chained sugars um, together, so they're easily transported out of the liver. And um, there is an enzyme in there that can take these chain glucose and turn it back into the big, chunky molecule, glycogen. So the stored glycogen creates the chain glucose, um, allowing for easier exportation out of the liver. And with all of this sugar in the liver, it also means that there needs to be a lot of oxygen to ensure that all of the sugars are burned efficiently. So insulin, the important peptide hormone, controls the two hormones to balance the number of sugars coming in and out of the liver. So now if you have too much glucose in the liver, it's going to convert the glucose into fat. So this is how you get a fatty liver. And this is with the help of... Um, One of those enzymes. So, proteins that are signaled by insulin to produce the sugar into fat are going to be called SREBP. So, that is just um, the short name for the proteins. But even without insulin, um, the excess sugars can still turn into fat no matter what, and it's never going to pause. And it's still unknown why our body actually does this. So, this is going to lead us to type 2 diabetes. Type 2 occurs when The insulin signals are blocked, um, which means the body cannot signal the enzyme into the liver um, that is basically turning the glycogen into glucose. Um, So, without the exportation of the chains, the liver is going to increasingly become full of sugar. And because there's all this excess sugar getting turned into fats, um, the liver is going to keep getting fatty. And this is also why diabetes and liver disease often go hand in hand. Um, So with all of this information, let's talk about some diet advice. So there is so many debates when it comes to diets uh, and all different diet wars. Everyone's trying to find out which diet's best for them. Um, One of the common ones is eating small meals throughout the day or eating really big meals all at once. Um, So some people want to eat small meals throughout the day, and then other people disagree and say, no, you should actually eat big meals all at once. But eating small meals throughout the day are actually going to um, better maintain blood sugar levels, and it's not going to overwhelm your pancreas or limit proteins. Um, but by eating lots at once, it can cause your pancreas to become overwhelmed, and this can lead to a, a glycemic crash. So a glycemic crash or a sugar crash you know, is all fun and games when you're hyper, full of energy, until after that sugar crash when you feel sudden drops of energy throughout the day. Um, Another diet war is between a high-fat diet and a low-fat diet. Um, A high-fat diet can still cause inflammation and other cancers, um, but you're actually not going to experience an increase of blood sugar levels. So it's going to make it difficult for you to get diabetes. Um, But with a low-fat diet, um, it's not one of the smartest trends out there because now we know that your body is constantly turning sugar into fat. So whatever sugar is instead of the fat you eat, it's still going to be converted converted into fats. Um, but fats cannot be converted into sugar. So general good advice is to not eat late at night or too much on weekends. And this is not and this is going to help um, not stress out your liver. So you can help. Uh, keep your blood glucose levels in a safe range by making healthy food choices and tracking your eating habits. Obviously, it's okay to eat sugar, and um, it's just as long as you're not doing it really, really frequently. And type 2 is cause, as we learned, over time. Um, so it is something to keep in mind. But the ADA, or the American Diabetes Association, recommends a specific diet Um, Or it's more of a meal plan for people with diabetes. And the guide is very simple. So it's going to lay out what kinds of food um, to choose when you want to eat, have a meal, or just snack on something. Um, So they use a food pyramid, which a lot of people are familiar with. And on their their website, it includes dairy, vegetables, fruits, meat, um, carbohydrates, and fats. So it, it also labels to avoid cakes, soft drinks, chocolates, grapes, watermelon, mangoes, pineapples, and raisins in large amounts, which is interesting because, you know, some of them are fruits, um, but fruits do have a very high concentration of sugar. So if you're eating a lot of it, um, it can still have the same effect as, you know, drinking a soda. Um, Also high concentration of fats, um, sorry, fatty meats, salts, butter, cream sauces, and dairy products are also highly discouraged for people with diabetes. Um, The snack and meals recommended are specifically tailored to help lower blood sugar, cholesterol, and weight management. So eating good habits and chewing your food slowly, eating breakfast every day, and having small meals often throughout the day um, is what they recommend. The ADA also explains that counting the total amount of carbs in your food is a great tool, To use, and it is a stronger predictor of blood glucose in comparison to um, other tools that you can use to measure your blood sugar levels. Um, But in recent studies, the Paleolithic diet has actually been shown to decrease your A1C levels, and the Paleolithic diet goes all the way back to when the first humans in the Stone Age. Um, a a simplistic diet consisting of all real foods because nowadays we have a lot of processed foods. Uh, It's also quite trendy right now, but with recent studies coming out with alarming information on food additives and processed foods, if you haven't seen it already, check out my podcast episode on that, Um, but it makes you think about what the health of humans would be like without processed foods and these additives. Artificial sweeteners, dairy, grains, and simple sugars are not what cavemen ate. So this is why a lot of people are are gravitating towards this diet. But without foods overly high in salt and sugar, the body is at a good balance of acids and bases. For people with diabetes, this can also be a good diet to stick with, but it is not easy because, of course, today um, the same fruits and vegetables that were available to the cavemen's we do not have, so it's going to be hard to measure how similar this diet actually is, but there are ideas out there uh, just to not eat a lot of processed foods or ultra-processed foods. So, Joe Weisenberger, a certified diabetes educator and wellness coach, actually explains how eliminating indulgence food, uh, she explains how people who strictly follow the plan often have improved blood glucose levels, um, more healthy cholesterol levels, and better sleep. So however, these gains are very likely to the result of eating less highly processed foods, high calorie foods, and is not so much the result of the paleo diet. The paleo diet is pretty extreme and difficult to follow for many people. So even just cutting out a lot of processed foods or heavily processed foods in your diet is going to be beneficial. So because the the diet is extremely low carb, it restricts a large number of carbohydrates um, just to honey and dried or fresh fruits. Honey and fruits are a big source of sugar, so these glycemic crash may not be healthy in high quantities for diabetics. So there was another study done at UC San Francisco in 2012, and this measured two small groups of people with type 2 diabetes who either ate a paleo diet or the Mediterranean diet for a couple of weeks. Um, just a side note, the Mediterranean diet is going to encourage people to eat a lot of traditional meals shared by country bordering, bordering the Mediterranean Sea. So they eat a lot of plant-based foods, veggies, seeds, herbs, spices, olive oil is really common, fruits, and nuts, and that's all included in this diet, and meat is um, eaten in moderation. So the results interest Dr. Frasetto, a kidney specialist working at the UC San Francisco Medicare Center. So he observed how, in quotations, those who ate like a caveman saw significant drops in blood, blood pressure, cholesterol, And blood sugar, while those on the Mediterranean diet saw little to no improvement. So, to be exact, on average, their blood sugar dropped about 25 milligrams. So, these results really interest me because the Mediterranean diet does not specifically prohibit processed foods like the paleo diet, but it does suggest eating less of them. Um, But just because the diet does not specify the intake of processed foods, it makes me believe that the group of people on the Mediterranean diet still included processed foods in their diet. So it could be a little hard to conclude that, hey, this is not going to drop your blood sugars um, because we do not know what processed foods they actually ate. Um, But the paleo diet is um, is a lot stricter, so we know that they were not eating processed foods. But to wrap this episode up, um, we started off our discussion with the importance of glucose and um, its role in the body. We also talked about the the role of the three glucose transporters. Um, Without proper function, we learned that the insulin signaling can go bad by the lack of insulin or type 1 diabetes or blocked signaling with type 2 diabetes. Um, We also reviewed two different diets, and we analyzed if they were beneficial to diabetic people. But overall, I really hope you guys enjoy this week's episode, and do not forget to tune into my next episode coming soon. So thank you guys for listening.